Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Quite a quite a rundown we have today. I have to say, it's probably the most comprehensive representation of our interests in quite some time. I think we try. That's we say that every week, though. No, still, but this like, is really true. I, I I still do think like the George Clooney and uh, Crown and one other thing that I can't remember week was like a really peak Jam Session week. But here we are again, you know, serving our interests. I, I was thinking about my celebrity crushes this morning because I was listening to um, Higher Learning. Tasha Adams, mm-hmm. The Bachelorette, is on it, and they asked Tasha, Van asked Tasha, like if you had um, celebrities competing for you, like who would you want it to be? And I was relieved because she had a hard time answering. She's like, I don't know, and and I always feel this way. Like celebrity crushes never like come to the top of my mind, and she landed on Liam Hemsworth and Michael B. Jordan. Great picks. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be like, for me, my default still all these years later is George Clooney and Brad Pitt. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, maybe I need to age down a little bit or I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like, I, I just feel like great. this maybe we should do a celebrity crush episode where I like try to find some and you try to find some. Cause I just feel like I don't have celebrity crushes in the pure way I used to like the way I'd love Joshua Jackson when I was 12. That's true. And frankly, I think that's probably healthiest. (laughs) I think that what you want out of a celebrity and your relationship to a celebrity should hopefully evolve from the tiger beat portion (laughs) of our lives. So what a great portion of our lives that was. I think also part of it is like, who would want to be, who would want to date a celebrity? Not I. Yeah. For a number of reasons. I think both the celebrity, like the wanting to date a celebrity thing misunderstands at least my relationship to celebrity, which is not wanting to interact with them at all. As I think you have witnessed, like I will hide from someone <laughs> if if there's a chance of meeting them, I would rather not. Um, but also it would be a tough relationship. Oh, it would be awful. Anyway, yeah. here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, Barack Obama's new book, which you're going to just tell me about. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to discuss the more recent, like quasi controversy around the crown. Well, you can decide later if it's a controversy or not. Um, (laughs) and then we are going to do, um, a bit of a social media update, some disparate ones from all sources of social media. More, more on that to come. We'll keep it a surprise. This episode is brought to you by eBay authenticity guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. But we are going to start with probably the biggest celebrity news 
of the week, maybe of the month. December's young. Um, Vanderpump Rules seems to be canceled. There's no clear answer and people are being evasive, but the show as we know it is not coming back. Brittany and Jax are off the show. And depending on who you ask them or the internet, they were either chose to leave or fired. I think they more likely were fired based on all the body of evidence they have about Jax, Jason, Couchy, Taylor. And it's a real end of an era. It's the end of something. Uh, I've got a lot of feelings about it. I've as a Vanderpump watcher for a long time. And yeah, I, I'm sort of like working through how I feel about it. So I'm going to play the role of interviewer here. And I okay, actually, I, I requested this segment. <laughs> Number one, because my favorite segments on Arthur Juliet Explains Television that I don't watch. <laughs> and and this does fit squarely under Juliet Explains Television that I don't watch. I have seen, I believe, two minutes of Vanderpump Rules in my entire life. And it's the it's not about the pasta or it's about the pasta. Is it not about the pasta? It's not about the pasta. Uh, I, I did very much enjoy the two minutes of it's not about the pasta, which I saw completely free of context and then moved on with my life. Incredible. But I've never seen the show. I am aware of it as kind of as a media phenomenon. I am aware of the, um, the troubles and the incidents of racism that have come to light in the past year, uh, respecting the cast and that several cast members had already been, uh, removed from the show. Yes. But I don't know anything else other than your enthusiasm for it. Um, several friends enthusiasm for it. And it kind of being a late breaking reality TV era phenomenon that now seems to be over. Yeah. Yes. Um, I would say Vanderpump rules, uh, predecessor is Jersey shore. And without Vanderpump rules, there might not be without Jersey shore. There might not be Vanderpump rules. And I say that because it really tapped into a subculture, which, um, was just what drove the show. Like it tapped into something real that then became heightened for television. But at the, at the crux, there was like this friend group and that's different than Jersey shore, right? Where that was kind of like the real world conceit, but it did tap into the very specific, um, Italian American, New Jersey culture, really Northeast. Cause like Polly was from, from Providence. But anyway, Vanderpump was a spinoff where, you know, if you were watching the real house was Beverly Hills eight or nine years ago, Brandy Chastain, um, not Brandy Chastain, Brandy Glanville had a feud with Sheena Shea, who was a waitress at Sir. And the end of an episode of The Real House with Beverly Hills was Brandy and Sheena having a sit down confrontation. And that was the end of one episode. And the last scene of, of ROH, RHOBH. And then it led into the first scene of Vanderpump. And like we were off to the races. And it just captured a type of Los Angeles living that I frankly find horrifying, but is like so, so real where it's like this, these people who are very aspirational moved to West Hollywood. They want to be actresses. They want to be singers. They want to be models. And in the meantime, they are like hot people working as waitresses. And they all just like have this incestuous dating pool that centers around their workplace. And they worship Lisa Vanderpump. And like, that's how the show started. They lived such modest lives at the beginning, which was like one of the reasons why it was so fun to watch. Cause they were just like living in these apartments in West Hollywood that were like, first of all, filthy, like please get a cleaning lady. And second of all, just if anyone who has visited a friend in West Hollywood or lived in the Los Angeles area or been to a house party in West Hollywood is like very familiar with. And so it was like heightened for television. And these people were like, 
you know, shocking and aberrant for the beginning, but also so familiar. And that is really like the secret sauce of reality TV. Um, shocking and familiar at the same time. And it was sort of like the last gasp of the friend group made for, that, that goes on TV. You can't do that anymore because people are just too familiar with the conceit. Right. And from the outside, it also seemed like one of the phenomenons where they caught people at the moment of aspiration mm-hmm. and, and, and that was do anything for it. Right. And that was appealing both to people who perhaps shared that aspiration and also people um, like, say, you and myself <laughs> who don't share the aspiration, but are fascinated and derive entertainment from watching people pursue it and, and derive entertainment from the friend group, but people who kind of want to be a part of the friend group and people who are fascinated by the friend group yeah, and on the rise. And then as so often happens that the aspiring individuals make it and they, they achieved a certain level of fame and a certain level of notoriety and then don't handle that. Well, it does seem like there were personal aspects of that adjustment to fame that didn't go great or maybe never were going great and just became more exposed. But then also that the whole premise of the show is then kind of, um, it's, it's corrupted. Yeah. It's just corrupted by, by fame. I think the, the heart of the problem with the Pump and what made it so good was that a lot of these people are bad people. There's a, f- a few who I do not think are bad people, but like Jax Taylor, who's one of the most famous, he's just a, he's a breakout from the show. Um, he's like a reference point for like bad men that I will hold on to for the rest of my life. Like a very specific kind of bad man. Not, not just like your garden variety cheater, but Jax cheated a lot. He was like the definition of a gaslighter. He was such an extreme liar. He, um, clearly used clearly abused substances. There definitely was like some plastic surgery in the mix and like just extremely dramatic, but he was just like a great, reality TV hero slash villain. And depending on the season and how cogently he was lying, you would feel differently about him. Although I think TV always made it clear that he was like not reliable for the people in his life. Maybe weren't as sure. And it it just was like, it just was like the reality TV version of friends in a lot of ways. And they were very aware of that. Like the people on the show in their previous homes, they all moved to Valley village. The sickest thing about them is they like, literally have group mentality. They only do group think it's so sick. I can't. And as someone like allergic to group activities, I can't relate, but they had like the frames around the peepholes on their doors, the way that, that they did in Monica and Rachel's apartment. And like, they really fashioned themselves as like reality TV friends. And they did it. They, they were, I think a lot of people view them that way. And like, it just was a shocking, shocking show. So can I ask you a question about, and I guess I'll focus it on Jax because he's pasta guy, right? No, that was James Kennedy. Oh, okay. Well, Jax is like, I don't even know how to describe him. He's a reality TV cyborg at this point. James Kennedy was British. He was fighting with Lala and they had like some dinner where like, they were like continuing to litigate someone's, I think Lala ate this pasta when she was drunk. And that was like at the center of her fight between Lala and James. <laughs> and he yelled at her on Fairfax outside of sweet chick ruin forever ruining this restaurant for me. I'll like never consider going to it. There's also one in Brooklyn. And I'm like, Oh, James. Um, he yells at her while clapping. It's not about the pasta. And like, it's like, that's the center of their, of their fight. Like her drunkenly eating this food. Okay. So just amazing. Still a tremendous two minutes of television. And you know, that's kind of, that's an interesting aspect of this, that you can just make two minutes of, uh, something that is so memorable and fascinating that 
you don't have to know who the people are. You don't have to know what's going on. You don't have to know the context and it can just kind of live on, but it also at some point outgrows the thing itself. Anyway, fascinating internet. What a place. I, I want to ask about Jax, okay. who, because he's not the pasta guy, is someone I know who Jax is. I recognize that name. I have absolutely no visual idea of what he looks like. Like if my life depended on it and you put five men in front of me, maybe I could take some sort of sartorial cues, you know, grooming cues. But at the end of the day, I would not be able to identify Jax. Just don't know. But I know who he is. And I thought what you said about um, Vanderpump being a show, like a key to it, that these are bad people or people who have issues who are not likable, who are not esteemable, perhaps in the traditional no. sense of yeah. esteemable and that you just buy into watching them act out in public. And I'm curious whether you think that Jax ultimately, cause he was one of the people recently removed from the show being mm-hmm. removed from the show is because people get tired of watching that behavior. Like there's a shelf life on our willingness to watch these people or whether he just outgrew the context of the show. Is it the people or is it the show that's expiring is I guess my question. The show is expiring. This past season was a struggle. They tried to like work in new cast members. And first of all, two of them had like these racist tweets. So they had to be kind of like minimized and then um, fired from the show. And they just were clearly like not people deserving of attention. Um, and their fame just, just got too great. And it was no longer believable that they would like work at a restaurant and like, because they don't do anything. Cause like they just make money off Instagram and appearances and from being on the show, they're just like, they became boring. They all like got married and moved to literally moved to Valley village, all of them and like nearly identical houses. And it just wasn't, wasn't interesting anymore because they were just like became like B list LA celebrities instead of like these aspiring young people working at a restaurant, you know, like, they were a real life sitcom or like a real life network drama, you know? And then as they got more famous, they lost that quality. And so they were no longer fun. It's just like, and so they outgrew the, they outgrew the show and the show needed to move away from them. So Andy Cohen said on his um, serious radio show that he's not sure when the show is coming back. He didn't say it was canceled, but there's no plans to get it going again that anyone is speaking to. So it's unclear if it's canceled. I think it probably is as we know it. And also Bravo declined to pick up a Jackson Brittany spinoff. And Jackson Brittany are by far the most famous people from the show. They're married. He's cheated on her. It's very out in the open. And I think she sucks personally. So that's my next question is like, do Jackson Brittany stay famous? What do they do? <sighs> they see. And I'm not like asking that in the way of like, how can we keep Jackson Brittany famous again? They're not no, famous you don't to care. Me. But I'm just kind of, I'm curious about, you know, it's so interesting that it's like the show was about them being famous and that's what made them famous. But now that they are famous, then like they're not famous anymore. I don't know where they go from here. Honestly, I hope nowhere. I, I need to believe that the world is just enough that like Jackson, Brittany will not have long careers. I, I'm sorry. I just need that. They'll probably do like the same stuff that like former boy banders do, but they don't even have like a special skill. At least a boy bander can sing and dance. Um, like when Chris Kirkpatrick made his VMAs appearance, Justin Timberlake. Um, I think that if Jax were single and not about to be a father and maybe he'll get divorced and this will happen anyway, like he would definitely start a only fans account kind of thing. Like that's, okay. that's the kind of person he is now. I, okay. I also just think that like Brittany, I don't know what she does. Maybe like a home shopping network kind of thing. Or the thing about Jackson Brittany's are not smart compared to someone like Bethany Frankel, who's like really savvy. So mm-hmm. that she has ideas for herself. They don't, 
they're not creative. They're not inventive. They're not smart. Okay. Will you personally continue to follow them? No, I won't. Okay. I'm okay. Right. The show. Also, like, I found Vanderpump to be a wonderfully entertaining, like, just totally transfixing show. But I also found it like depressing by the end. I was just like, this is not a world I want to live in. It made me like, it made me like upset about LA. Like I was like, we inhabit the same city. Like, how can that be? <laughs> and um, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to move on from all of them. The, the, the friendship and the working at Sarah was really the pull. But this should, they should never have given these individuals so much power. The show had always should have been centered around Sir. And when people started leaving, they should have been off the show. Okay. I mean, it, what's happening to Sir right now? Given, well, it's closed you know, since it's right, a lot. Yes. I think, I don't know. I don't think it's going great. And I hope that everyone behind the scenes there who work there, who's not on show, hope they're getting, uh, hope they're able to, to make ends meet. It's like really scary for people who are like bus boys and, you know, dishwashers, yes. sir. Um, so I, I wish all of them the best. I don't know what's going to happen. One of Lisa Vanderpump's other restaurants closed. She only bought into sir as like a way to stay in the country, but way back when like it was like it's just like sort of kind of funny that it blew up this way but i don't i don't know i kind of think the reality tv is at a little bit of a changing of the guard because a lot of the stuff that's been around is sort of tired when people get too famous they get boring for reality unless they come in famous like you know i would accept a television show about the smith family will and jada you know like who wouldn't like yeah there is one juliet it's called the it's called red table talk (laughs) With Olivia Jade this week. With (laughs) Olivia Jade. I have not, I don't know if it's available as of our recording. And um, I'm just going to watch the highlights, frankly. uh, I know. Who wants to move on with my life? She can, she's like in the jacks pile. I mean, whatever. She's a kid. So hopefully she'll turn into a good person. Anyway. Yeah. Vanderpump rules. End of an era. I feel like COVID has had a lot of unceremonious endings. And Mm -hmm. this is one of them. And I just feel like a lot of them relate to TV for me. I'm like, well, this is just over now. But it's definitely weird for like the end of kind of like one of the defining reality shows of the last decade, just kind of go out with a whimper like this. And you're just, and you're just like, well, everyone's been revealed to be who they are, which is a bad person. So we're moving on. It's fascinating. I, I'm so curious to see what comes next in terms of the reality TV, which um, is definitely one of kind of the defining celebrity forces at least of the past decade. You know, it does seem like now that TikTok is kind of taking the the place of famous people trying to or on the up famous people trying to get attention by sharing a large portion of their life with a young audience. So who knows? I thought that was great. That was very illuminating for me. (laughs) All right. Well it's my turn to interview you. Let's move on. Amanda. You read A Promised Land by Barack Obama. I would like to be very honest. I have read about 400 pages of A Promised Land. How long is it? It is 700 pages, and it is part one of his two-part promised memoir. It is quite long. So I have read 400 pages. What, What year are you up to? What year does it start with? So, I mean, he does kind of a pocket history of his life. So it starts with his childhood, with his parents, Um, But, you know, because he has written two memoirs ahead of time that have covered some of the biographical detail um, with more specificity, it goes it goes pretty quickly. But, you know, it goes with meeting Michelle and 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 how he finds his way to politics, because this is a memoir about his presidency. So I'm going to give a non-political book report. Wonderful. um, Because 
I will say a lot of this in the tradition, I am told of presidential memoirs, though perhaps it is telling that this is the first presidential memoir that I have ever read. I And all of them have written and I have not been a part of them. But this does go through a lot of the policy and the mm. uh, events of Barack Obama's presidency and trying to explain them and defend the decisions made, which, you know, sounds... Is that common more... for a presidential memoir? Again, my first presidential memoir. I, I mean, I do think so. I think they're all trying to set their own version of history. And, they, you know, the uh, A Promised Land is interesting because it, as uh, previously mentioned, it goes into great detail and it explains in kind of what I recall to be in like an Obama style of it shows every side. Right. And it, it really, he's going to be discursive and he's going to think through everything at great length. And he's not going to give you the, the, the one sentence, um, even though sometimes you might want the one sentence. And, yeah. And he talks about learning how to communicate, uh, for a campaign. And one of the frustrations, um, of his staff was that he, his answers would be five minutes instead of like the one sentence that people want, because what we want in terms of messaging is often different from what we want in terms of leadership. So it's long and there's a, there's a lot of foreign policy stuff and there's a lot about, um, the economic crash and the recovery act and, it's, you know, some of it's interesting. I, I admire Barack Obama very much. I don't agree with every single policy decision he ever made. And I, you know, don't think that there are any, is anyone really probably besides him and his staff who agrees with all of it, but whatever he's, he's doing the presidential stuff. The, the, the parts that are about Obama as, um, as auto, their autobiography or their self-reflection, and they are definitely Barack Obama engaging with the idea of Barack Obama. Mm, that's interesting. And how people responded to him and the media. And I think, and how that shaped his sense of self and the decisions that he made. And, you know, that is also when he does start reflecting on, um, on race and the reaction to his presidency and perhaps what it brought up, uh, in terms of Trump and, and the next decade really. And watching him work through that is obviously really interesting. And I think also like this stray observation that he makes about every 20 pages, there will be like a two page thing about the media or a page about Michelle Obama's first lady and the expectations that we put on first ladies and women and in, in the United States or a page and a half about raising his daughters or, um, you know, sociological observations, observations about himself, observations about his motivations. I find them completely fascinating. He's a beautiful writer. He is a, an unbelievably gifted, immersive writer. You feel as you are speaking with him, everything is um, chosen, well-structured. I'm a structured nerd. Thank you, Barack Obama, for also appreciating <laughs> structure. Imagine being his editor, suggesting changes. And, and, and apparently he also uh, writes everything like longhand on a notepad. Incredible. And, and was like several years overdue for this memoir. So imagine being his editor. So I, he's, it's fascinating. And it is also fascinating to watch that self-mythologizing work. And I, you know, self-mythologizing usually has a pejorative sense to it of, sure. um, we think someone's like making something up or not being their quote authentic selves. And I, and I don't intend that in any way, but to watch 
a, a president and Barack Obama and um, someone who clearly spends a lot of time thinking about this on his own head um, to kind of try to create a public understanding of himself and what he wants people to understand about himself and how he works and what his motivations are is fascinating. Just like really, really grade A um, celebrity stuff in addition to being literary and political and um, international and and all of the things that it is. It's funny. It's funny because I don't really care for Obama, the celebrity. Like I'm just sort of like, dude, I don't want this from you. Like I liked you. I loved you as president. The mm-hmm. Obama years were the were the formative years of my life. I think that like for people our age, like one of the difficulties of the last few years is that we spent our formative adult years under like this this glow of um, the Obama presidency, like which again I mean like totally ab- separate from like the policies, but just sort of there was like there was a vibe, and mm-hmm. I um, have found that hard to I found it I found it less palatable from just like celebrity Barack Obama. Cause I just feel like, I just feel like Obama is really cool. Like if you see, you know, that, that video of him that went viral shortly before the election where he makes the shot and he's like, this is how I do it. Just like, yeah, man, you are really cool. And I love you, but I'm just sort of like, not now. I don't know. There's something about it that I have a hard time accepting of like, I just like prefer dad political Obama who has a good quip to celebrities like very smooth Obama for whatever reason. I understand what you're saying. And what I've been thinking about and what you and I talk have talked about over the last four years and really before that is the, um, the role of celebrity in politics. And I feel that we have been living in the ultimate consequences of celebrity politics yeah. for the last yeah. four years. And that's not, there are a lot of issues that led to a, a Trump presidency and Fame is not the only one. Um, racism would be a, another huge one. Yeah. But um, I, I do believe that it played a factor and it was not okay with me. And so I we have spent, and we've talked about this, the last kind of four years trying to disentangle what we're interested in celebrity-wise and how that functions in the society with, like, with governance. Um, but I have been reflecting as I said earlier, this is definitely the first presidential memoir I've ever read. I'm not reading it for governance. I'm not reading it for politics. I am reading it because I am under the sway of the Obama celebrity as well. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I think I am certainly more in line with his policies than I am with other politicians. I really admire him. Like there are other reasons to read it. And I, I, I think it's good to learn about our presidents and the people who lead us, but I, I I wonder if your hesitance or just being like, I want government, you know, dad Obama just comes from our continued attempt attempts to like, to get rid of the last four years, basically. Yeah. And also just to like compartmentalize a lot of legislative yeah. Obama, you fit into this bucket. Please don't move into another, go back to where you right. came from. Um, yeah. personal question, just personal yes. and that it's related to my personal interests. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to the death of bin Laden in this book? Well, Juliet, I'm, I'm, I thought of you because when <laughs> once, oh boy, sorry, it's I'm, not funny. I, I guess, it's not funny. I just, no, I have done a lot of reading about the, um, circumstances around the raid that led to bin Laden's yes. death. I'm a big Seymour Hirsch fan. And that's why I ask. It's not funny. It, that's why Juliet is a London review of books subscriber. Yeah. Um, 
So when I knew that we were going to be talking about this on the podcast, I did skip ahead and do some reading. And I already knew that this was the case from the reviews. But just so you know, the book ends with the the raid. That oh, is wow. the last chapter. And that is where he ends the book. Wow. Uh, All right. I'm going to just go straight to the last chapter at the bookstore yeah. and not buy the book. So Great. I think that Obama does understand the narrative significance as well as the geopolitical significance of that event. Wow. All mm-hmm. right. Well, I'm going to have to check that out at my local bookstore. Shop and by the way, it's it's forty five dollars. So it's forty five dollars. Uh, it's, it's like $45. sold like insanely well. And Obama has done a lot of PR, like a lot. Just he's on everybody's IG live, just having some so fascinating. Yeah. So fascinating. Well, I, I I do think a little bit. He's like everybody else. He's just inside. What else is he going to do? Also, he just loves basketball. If, if my if my dad were ever president and then writing a memoir and like how to do press for it, he would mm-hmm. do the exact same thing, which is like Steph Curry. Can you help? Can you host me? Just this, the, the basketball loving type is so endearing to me. Cause it's just mm-hmm. very familiar. My father's that way as well. Just yeah. like very, very sweet. All many of our coworkers are as well. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny. But I mean, you know, there it is. It's like the personality and the, 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 the mythology versus the, you know, the decision maker. It's interesting. It's interesting stuff. I recommend it. Um, maybe, you know, if you want to get it for a parent in your life and then you guys can share it because it's again, really large and really expensive, but, um, really interesting. Um, all right. 45 bucks. Maybe look for it on the Libby app. One of Amanda's favorites as well. (laughs) Yes. Support your local library. This episode is brought to you by eBay authenticity guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewelry that makes you look like the gem sneakers and streetwear. So fresh. Every step feels fly when it comes to style and luxury. eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee shop with confidence, Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. 
bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Um, okay. Next. Moving on. Let's discuss the latest so-called controversy revolving the royals. And this is related to the crown. Um, I believe it's the British government has requested that Netflix append a disclaimer stating that the crown is historical fiction and Netflix has declined. Thank God. In my opinion, Amanda, Mm -hmm. what are your, what are your thoughts on this um, development? So I wanted to bring this up because I've heard from a lot of people in my life about this. And I initially dismissed this as posturing, right? Of the, the show comes out and there are people in the Royal family who are uh, upset. And I, frankly, I think if you were a son or a relative of Charles or Diana, um, if you watch this season, you personally would be upset. I understand that I have empathy as well. And so I, I, I just like, of, of course, it, it, you know, it tough road, tough season for those people. And it's been tough for the sons ever since. So I get that. But I like I took it as posturing, you know, that the culture secretary or whatever has to come out and be like that. We need everyone to understand that this is not true. And then Netflix will say it's not true. And then we all move on. But it seems to have lodged in the consciousness of of everybody else. And. And people are arguing about whether we need to have a fiction warning on a fiction TV show. And I just, I need everyone to do better. I need everyone (laughs) once again, according to the jam session, core principles to check your sources, to look for context, to know what you're consuming and why you're consuming it. And the motivations of the people showing it to you and friends, this is the fourth season of a fictional television show. We've had some time. I think we all understand that they are taking artistic license. In addition to the pain that it must cause for William and Harry to, to live through this again, I can't imagine. It, it must really be awful. I, I probably would have cut myself off from society where I then for like three months just to, on either side, so really six months just to avoid this. It, it must just be absolutely harrowing. It must be infuriating for the many jerks in the royal family who did not like Diana that she's like once again getting so much attention. And I think um, it's just it's just like so on brand. It's so it's just very, very frustrating. This is just such a silly, silly thing. Also, like, did this come up with any of the millions of movies about Queen Elizabeth that have come out in the last 20 years? No, like it's very pointed to me that this is specifically around the Diana season. I think there have been reports of people spamming the, you know, Prince Charles and Camilla's real life social media accounts and being like your homewrecker, you know, and all sorts of stuff that I there, as always, there are people on the internet who are not acting responsibly. And I do think that it was a very, very public wound. But once again, it is a wound that's being picked at. And you're right. It's I mean, I, I honestly find the William and Harry of it all with respect to Diana so to be unimaginable and kind of the thing you don't get over in your no, life. So I, it's I, I, I hope that they never see a minute of it. Truly, truly. I, it's just like, why? Why would you? It's not healthy. Um, but I for everyone else. I, I think we all just got to understand what we're dealing with. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's probably just like it's so popular and it's so mm-hmm. popular in the UK. So, yeah. I mean, it's a great show. Of course, it's popular. Wonderful, wonderful I think, show. Yeah. I mean, Princess Diana was really famous, like really <laughs> yeah. famous, really famous. And I think that people, I, I, I think the crown probably Netflix was probably not even prepared, even though they should know better than anyone because they, you know, did all the research. I think probably the Royal family was not prepared some 20 or 25 years later for the, the level of attachment and really that Netflix bump. Um, I also think it's funny this season, the commentary around it seems to be like more so than ever noting the like creative liberties that Peter Morgan took in, in constructing the show. Mm-hmm. But I've also read so many um, pieces. I was catching up with the story in Vulture. The headline involved the word barber. So I had to click in. It was just about the fashion. And um, it was just saying how like a, the barber jackets are more than just just a jacket and, and the crown. And, and, and that was just um, instructive to me. Like so many pieces, I think, are like noted that there's a lot of stuff in the, this season in particular that didn't, actually happen but is so true to like the spirit of like for example the relationship between margaret thatcher and the queen or just like mm-hmm. a lot of that the creative decisions are rooted in um sort of like uh rooted in fact though perhaps were not the exact events that transpired and so probably really for those on the the royalist side probably really bugs people that like those liberties were taken yes absolutely i don't want to get two into the mank discourse number one because this it's not um the big picture and number two because also the mank discourse is really ridiculous um but mank is a david fincher movie that was released last week on netflix and it's about the making of citizen kane and it is a fictional film about the making of citizen kane um and adam neiman who contributes a lot of film pieces to the ringer made a great point about how um, because the same arguments about like what's true and what's not, and is this disrespectful and is it not, are, are happening um, with very bad faith across the internet. And Adam Neiman made a great point that when you make such a big deal of being authentic as Mink does and as the Crown does, he said there is the the period costumes and the um, the the look and the feel, and we're trying to get everything just right and borrowing from history in a lot of cases, as both do. But when you're touting authenticity, then there like is a standard that you have to live up to. And if you ask people to invest in that part of the truth, then should you be surprised when they're like, but wait, this is wrong or wait, yeah. this didn't really happen. You are courting that kind of discussion. And the crown absolutely is. And I don't, I don't want to, I like, I never want to give a giant corporation just a, a pass. <laughs> and I think Netflix should be responsible, but I do also, I, we can all be smart. This is art and people can actually use their thinking caps. And I would like in this particular case for people, I don't know. I just would like the discourse to be a bit more elevated. Yeah. Um, More sophisticated. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we firmly do not believe there should be any kind of disclaimer. It's like, there's also, there are the important disclaimers on the show. So that's enough. Yes, exactly. (laughs) All right social media tour, social media updates. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to mention my friend, Stephanie sent me a link to a thread, um, from a Gilmore girls, super fan, Mike Desenzo about how Gilmore girls characters would respond to the pandemic. And it was very spot on. And I just also wanted to mention it because you and I coincidentally were texting yesterday about how we've both been watching Gilmore girls lately. And it just remains such an ultimate comfort watch 
And I've been watching a season I very rarely watch, which is season four, the first Yale season. And oh, so the early Logan season. He's not even on it yet. He's, oh, so he's it's, season five. Is it, is it? It's when she's dating Dean. She hasn't gotten there yet. Dean has just gotten married. But yes, it's that season. Ay, 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 ay. So at the end of the season is when she sleeps with Dean. So right now she's like oh, adjust, okay. adjusting to college. And it's the Digger Styles season. Um, right. And right. Okay. I rarely watch this season. So I've been like, oh, this is fun. Oh, interesting. Um, it definitely feels like the show jumped the shark at this season in retrospect, like a little bit. It was still great. And I loved Logan, obviously, but it wasn't as good. Anyway, I've just been really enjoying it. And I thought this thread was so funny. Um, I also like recalled from like the deep recesses of my memory that we at the beginning of this podcast, like very closely covered the um, Gilmore Girls Netflix reboot. Like if you recall, yes. in 2016. <laughs> I, I do recall that we did that. I don't recall anything about that reboot, which I watched once. Very bad. And just dropped from my brain forever and ever. But I do. I was uh, making Thanksgiving dinner or parts of Thanksgiving dinner in, in my home this year. And because it was just me, I wanted something to keep me company. So I set up my little laptop in the kitchen with, with Gilmore girls. And that's instinctively, I wasn't in the middle of a rewatch or anything. I was just like, what should I put on? I think there is something like seasonal about it. Like the fall new England Mm -hmm. vibes, like Gilmore girls feels like a very fall show to me, even though it was filmed on the Warner brothers lot uh, in Burbank. And And boy, is that that obvious upon rewatch. It really, once you know that, and if you've (laughs) ever driven by the Warner brothers lot, you're just like, Oh, I know which Hills those are. I can see that it it becomes very clear, but yeah, very comforting. And I just, the, the, the chatter, there's something about if you need like some company, it, it really, it fills the space. Totally. It also is just like a book that reveres, it's a television show that reveres books. And I think that just speaks to both of us in in an important way, but there was just some really great, I I thought that this thread was most correct about Logan. It said Logan retreats to his house in Westport, which he calls the bunker along with Finn and Colin invites Rory to come to join our bubble ace. When she gets there, there's 150 drunk people partying without masks. I thought that was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, that's really it. Good. Shout out at Mike Desenzo on Twitter. Apparently he's a Gilmore Girl super fan. He's been at this for a while. Um, Next, Amanda, please tell me about Candace Bergen and Instagram. Have I never talked about Candace Bergen's Instagram before? No, I, I don't think so. I, really? Okay. So I was checking in on Candace Bergen's Instagram because Candace Bergen is um a star of the new Steven Soderbergh movie, Let Them All Talk, which will be on HBO Max later this week. And I, I recommend it. Also stars Meryl Streep. Um, great stuff. Can't wait to see it. And Lucas Hedges, right? Yes. And Lucas Hedges. I can't had, wait. Cannot and Lucas wait. Hedges. Yeah. It was filmed on the um, Queen Mary 2, I believe, a cruise ship. And uh, I believe that to follow the dress code, Steven Soderbergh uh, shot some of it while wearing a tux, which I just remain Steven Soderbergh's number one fan. Anyway. Uh, I love him. I also just want to note, I fucking love Lucas Hedges. Love, love, love. It seems like people don't, who work with him don't love him back. I noticed that he's not really part of like oh, no. the cool group coming out of Ladybird, but um, that's okay. I think he's super theatery and Manchester by the Sea is one of my favorite movies that I'll never watch again, but beautiful score that I listen to all the time. Okay, carry on. It, that really is the top list of incredible movies that I'll never watch again. Yeah. <laughs> so, I was just checking in on Candace Bergen's Instagram because if you have never checked in on Candace Bergen's Instagram, I... I really recommend it. Uh, Candace Bergen is obviously just a, a Hollywood legend, um, was a, an actress and, and part of like the 60s, 70s, 
you know, new Hollywood vibe and then became Murphy Brown. Hugely formative to me. Spent a lot of time watching Murphy Brown as a child. I, I have a giant smile across my face because I simply yeah. loved her, her turn in Sweet Home Alabama. She was really, really great stuff good in that movie. <laughs> and now Candace Bergen is living the life. She is occasionally in Steven Soderbergh movies and otherwise, as best I can tell, alternates between her homes in uh, New York City, East Hampton and Pacific Palisades, where she has an absolutely spectacular view of the ocean from her home. I, it's astonishing. In the Palisades? Yes. That would concern me because that must mean she's in like major mudslide, landslide territory, but that's really exciting. I okay. She's got good well, home insurance. I'll take it up with Candace uh, next time I speak to her. She really loves her dog, which, you know, I'm not a dog person in the way that Candace Bergen is, but I can sense the love between them. And that's really beautiful. And then she has a late in life career. I swear I told you about this. She, I think as a personal hobby started, um, painting designs on fancy bags and then has merchandised this so wow. you can buy like a very fancy bag. But also this is like a whole thing. I think people yeah. like pay a lot of money to have this done to like their Gucci and Louis Vuitton. Yes, exactly. And she does that, but she has expanded. And so now you can buy her designs on mugs and t-shirts and tote bags and whatever you need. So she just has like kind of a Candace Bergen merch life. And she spends her time doing that. She has a new grandson who was Dr. Fauci for Halloween. And that was very cute. Oh, that's cute. And just, and, and also has like a, a wry self-deprecating sense of humor on the Instagram. So just really escapist and delightful. I almost bought a Candace Bergen uh, Christmas tree mug for myself for Christmas, but you should have, well, I've gone, a, um, a little out of control with the Christmas tree decorations mm -hmm. and I, um, have, and, and Christmas decorations in general. And I feared being mocked by the other <laughs> resident of my home, frankly, by ordering this mug. So I haven't done it yet. We'll see what happens. It's a few weeks till Christmas yet. Uh, but really, really delightful stuff. And I do also recommend let them all talk. Um, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to have to check it out. <laughs> um, Okay. Well, I also support mugs, by the way, obviously. So I think yes. you should reconsider. Get that if Thank you can. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just want to lastly say that I've been using Pinterest of late. And <laughs> this is like, it's an incredible last item. Just Juliet <laughs> has joined the, uh, uh, 10 years later, has okay. joined a social network. I'm Keep glad going. you mentioned this 10 year part mark because I did have an account from like 2009, 2010. Right. And I went, I had like two pins. I was like, I, I didn't understand it at the time. And I continue to be so confused by Pinterest. I don't understand how it's like so popular because it's really, really hard to use. And yeah, I just think there's like a big opportunity for someone to make a better like scrapbook app essentially than Pinterest because it's just mm -hmm. really confusing. Like, I don't know how to like create pins from just like things that I see on the internet. Like, how do you, I, I just don't get it. And so... <laughs> I'm really struggling here. And all I want to do is keep track of cool <laughs> light fixtures, you know? And I just think it's a really bad app. And I'm very confused by the I have success. I, I don't know how I'm, you got here. I'm really struggling here. I gave up. I, I think Pinterest taught me that I'm not a visual person, even though I think I am. I do have visual interests, but I was like, I don't know how to use this. And I also never know how to take action. 
you know, there's something kind of Pinterest seems designed for you to make your board and then just like look at it and stay within the board. And I don't know what I don't have a purpose for that. If I'm making a thing of light fixtures or, you know, whatever, then that's because I hope to one day have a light fixture of my own. Me too. And I just don't know how to take action. Yeah. Me neither. Anyway. I don't get it. I'm just, I'm just shocked that it's as popular as it is. Even TikTok's easier to use than Pinterest. Yeah. It's really weird. That's it. Okay. Follow me on Pinterest, I guess. Well, I don't think I have any public <laughs> boards. I don't know. I don't really know how it works. <laughs> if you're curious about what I, what I'm pinning, it's like just literally light fixtures. Send us Pinterest tech support, I guess. I guess. Thanks. Any help you can okay. offer would be much appreciated. All right. All right. That's Jam Session for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. As always, um, by the way, you may find newly on the feed Wednesday night, Bill Simmons and David Jacoby recapping the challenge. Yes, that's right. Perhaps I'll appear once in a while. Who knows? Um, that's it. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.